1: everybody, uh, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, my name is Mario Pojiga and I am coming to you today from the land of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Um, so Chronically Chilled has been on a pause for a little while, you might have noticed, um, but we're back in 2022. And joining me today are the two newest members of the Chronically Chilled team. I'm really excited um, today to introduce Bridget Macarthur and Aki New. Um, welcome to Chronically Chilled.
0: Thanks Thank Mario. You very much, Mario.
1: And I was thinking, rather than me um, doing an intro for you both, I f- might just get you to introduce um, yourselves um, and tell the listeners a bit about yourselves and um, what brought you to the show, really. Um, so, Archie, I might get you get to go first if that's all right.
0: Absolutely. So, hi everyone. My name is Archie. I'm a first-generation Aussie from a refugee background. I live with multiple complex chronic illnesses and disabilities um, that result from connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, muscle activation issues, blood pressure issues, chronic PTSD, functional neurological issues, and a whole bunch of chronic pain issues. I'm also a survivor advocate of intimate partner violence and work within the intimate partner violence sector as well. I work within the LGBTIQ space, gender equity space, and work to ensure trauma-informed violence within the disability advocacy sector. Um, I'm an internationally awarded um, gender equity advocate. I'm really passionate about disability rights and representation. Um, I'm a non-binary person. Um, My pronouns are they, them. I'm queer and person of colour and I work currently within the disability sport and recreation sector um, to help revitalise the sector in a COVID-19 world to ensure that people with disabilities are not left behind in the return to community sports and recreation. And I am also an agency represented an internationally published model working to change the perception of the way people view disabled people or appearance differences such as surgical scars or scars as a result of illness or disability. And I'm very passionate about working to represent disabled individuals, gender diverse and people of colour communities, particularly those from disenfranchised and marginalised backgrounds such as myself. Yeah, so I guess um, I came on to be uh, one of the lovely hosts of this show after being a guest while I was working as the Executive Director of Chronic Pain Australia, talking about disability and chronic pain and the challenges and sickness people face living with chronic pain and invisible illness and invisible disability. And that was, I believe, July 2020. So here we are, um, almost 18 months later um, and having this show. So really excited to be recording our first show all together um, and be a part of the team and moving forward, contributing as much as I can.
1: Um, Do you wanna just tell us where you are at the moment? Um, I thought it might be just good for the listeners to be aware.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm currently overseas. Last night I was in Sweden, this morning I was in Copenhagen, and now I'm in Munich, Germany. So I'm a bit disorientated, um, and there's a fairly big time difference, but um, I do reside in Nam, Melbourne, Victoria, and I'm just travelling at the moment because we are officially allowed to, um, despite the challenges of COVID, but yes. Yeah. And it's very cold here. <laughs>
2: hey, amazing portfolio from Aki. Um, I'm Bridget, I'm living in Nam, Wurundjeri country, pronounce she, her. Um, what brought me to the show? So yeah, I just started at 3CR in the last year. Um, this is technically my second show after the Disability Day special in December, um, but I've been working in media development for the past kind of year and a bit, um, and then more recently freelance writing. Um, and yeah, through my media development work, was kind of helping uh, to do some programming in uh, setting up programs, um, promoting community radio in the Asia Pacific. Um, and thought, you know, if I'm pushing it over there, I should probably get involved in my own local community radio station. And 3CR um, was a really good fit, and this program was a really good fit as well, due to a pretty recent um, diagnosis of narcolepsy. Um, type one uh, which is with cataplexy in December 2020 which I guess I keep saying is recent but it's now over a year ago um, but yeah I got I of a diagnosis after I started developing cataplexy which is where an intense emotion triggers loss of muscle tone basically I just collapse in response to predominantly like laughter um, and I'd had daytime sleepiness and other things for years but that was sort of the weird one where I was like, something's not right, and got a diagnosis, and then entered that whole world of you know getting medicated and coming to terms with um, just everything that goes with it. Um, and yeah, I've been sort of privileged that that's given me a very small insight into the world of other people living with just such an enormous, vast range of um, disabilities, and I think it's a really important area to be. Um, involved in, in terms of advocacy and just raising awareness. Um, and uh, I'm really passionate, especially about the plight of asylum seekers and and the things that governments are doing to <laughs> that is essentially giving people who didn't need to have disabilities disabilities. Um, and yeah, that's me. Um, and I'm very new to the space, but excited to be walking in the footsteps of people like Aki and Mario.
1: Thank you to you both. Um- so thrilled to have you both on the show um, and I'm thrilled to see um, yeah, the work that we can do together this year. Um, it's incredibly difficult to get three chronic uh chronically ill and disabled um people together <laughs> all at once i think for listeners i think ongoingly you'll get a mixed match of of um either one or two or, th- or three of us ongoingly um, i just want to also shout out um naomi cheney who um was um co-hosting this show for phew, about a year or more um i just wanted to thank i just want to thank naomi for all the work that she put in um, it was great working with you naomi um, I just wanted to send a shout out and thank you again for all your work. Um, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. Bridget, I, you were just mentioning, um, I, I guess we are introducing ourselves like, you know, this is, um, you know, the new team and all that kind of thing. But as part of um, 3CR's Disability Day um, broadcast, we actually, or you actually, uh, put together an amazing um, program that took a really close look at what was happening at the Park Hotel. Um, and the plight of of asylum seekers that are being locked away there. I thought it might be really good to just revisit that just a little bit and just to provide a bit of an update from um, what has happened since then. And, you know, it's also been in the news um, a lot due to the Novak Djokovic um, situation. Um, So I thought um, this would be a good opportunity to just revisit that and um, for you to just provide a bit of an update because, yeah, things have happened since then.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Here I was trying to raise awareness and little did I know all I needed to do was become a famous tennis player and get detained there and people would pay attention. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've all by now heard of Djokovic's detainment, Djokovic's, that's hard to say detainment in the park hotel in Carlton earlier this month. Um, the government essentially canceled his visa. I mean, we know the whole story for failing to meet the country's fax requirements, et cetera. Um, so for a brief moment, He was in the park hotel with the, I think it was 32 um, refugees at the time and somehow managed to both overshadow and highlight their plight. So it was sort of a mixed bag, bit bittersweet. Um, Yeah, those refugees entering their ninth year without freedom Um, and yeah, didn't personally really do a whole lot of advocacy himself which was pretty disappointing, but obviously drew the media to the park hotel when he left they then left, which was really sad to see. Um, but there has been still an increase in conversation, I think, or just an increase in awareness. Um, so at least I think more people walking past that site now know what it is. I have friends now who are posting about it um, more than they would have and <clears throat> saying, you know, I've never heard of this. Or uh, I said, listen to 3CR. Um, but <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been an interesting couple of weeks um, on that front. And um, also, should mention that actually, um, before all of that happened, uh, we found out that Muhammad well, found out, saw him in person. Muhammad was um, released from the Park Hotel. Uh, and I was actually at a rally there at the front and was texting him saying, well, which window are you in? And he texted and was like, I'm behind you, essentially. So it was a little bit less exciting than that. Um, And yeah, I got to meet him in person, um, which was really exciting, but also I can't imagine how bizarre it was for him on the other side of that glass Um, and just probably incredibly overwhelming. And now he's in the process of trying to kind of move on with his life, trying to um, essentially get out of Australia uh, because they've only given him, I think it was a six month temporary visa and that's quickly running up. So he's applied for a Canadian um, visa um, and, Last we talked, which hasn't been for a couple of weeks now, he had managed to secure accommodation um, with the help of some local not-for-profits, not with the help of the government. Um, Yeah, essentially security released him with no information as to why he was suddenly being released or why he'd been detained for the last nine years and what had suddenly changed (laughs) and similarly no support going into the outside world. So he kind of went from this situation of max control to one of, Zero support, um, which I'm sure is an incredibly bizarre experience.
1: And that's the thing that got me when you were talking to me about it is just the lack of process in terms of, you know, I was wondering what happened and why and how and you know I was I was keen to kind of um, understand what had occurred and there's literally no explanation. It sounds like and it's just like okay, you're free now and you know off you go and. You know, it sounds like the, you know Muhammad was given very little resources or, or anything to to kind of now all of a sudden needing to get on with his life. You know.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah it makes no sense. In in a way, it's like more. If I was him, I would be even more enraged at, at that because I would at least want them to pretend to say like, oh well, in our eyes, you did X, Y, and Z, and you're you know, a bad person, and now for this reason, we don't think you are, <laughs> and it's like, so, yeah, was I just not a bad person this whole time, and you've just been keeping me here arbitrarily? I don't know. It makes zero yeah. sense. what yeah. any, what the government does
0: in, in any front, so.
1: Yeah, it just adds more questions, and it's, it's hard to get your head, it's hard to make actual sense of as well.
0: It doesn't seem like it's changed all that much <laughs> um, from refugees, you know, and, and asylum seekers you know being treated the way that they've been treated um my parents were refugees coming from australia and uh yeah very little support they came by a boat to a small town in western australia called gerriton and um they still don't speak english because they were never given support or resources to do so so um yeah it's kind of disappointing to just- see to, to think about how far we haven't come in terms of the support there and how challenging it must be for Muhammad to now be in the, the outside world, trying to navigate everything while also knowing that his peers, many of his peers are still not free.
1: You're listening to Chronically Children 3CR. I guess um, the other thing, um, it's year three now of the pandemic, um, it's a pandemic that keeps changing in terms of um, what I guess is happening and also what people with disabilities and chronic illnesses um, are having to be confronted with in terms of the challenges that it presents. Um, and I guess at the moment um, in Australia, um, with the huge amount of cases and changing government policy that is pretty much just um, allowing COVID to now go through the community, um, I'm sensing just a lot of. I guess, the stress and anxiety, um, I think amongst the community in general, um, but I'm kind of sensing it particularly amongst the disabled and chronically ill community um, out there. Um, And I thought it might just be good for us to just have, a, I guess, a conversation, just, you know, we haven't had a chance to really speak about it too much um, ourselves, but just to check in with each other and also just to kind of talk about Um, Yeah, just kind of what some of the challenges might be in terms of, yeah, um, that are now presented for people with disabilities and chronic illness and and thing in the community. Um, So I guess for me, um, i'm feeling i've been feeling super anxious you know i had a lung transplant um 2 years ago um just at the beginning of of kind of covid-19 um and that means i'm super immunocompromised um and just i feel like i'm just kind of trying to dodge <laughs> um getting covid-19 at the moment um you know i've i've almost in some ways feel more exposed or more vulnerable now than what i have um thus far. Um, and it's just been really hard trying to figure out what to do really. Um, in terms of do I go out, do I not go out? Do I, you know, how do I look after myself? And at the same time, you know, also trying to, you know, maintain my mental health, you know, through it all. Um, what's it been like for you both?
2: Yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say it's it's an interesting parallel. It's not that dissimilar to the situation of Mohammed kind of going from maximum control to one of zero support on a wider scale like the it's sort of I'm drawing it (laughs) a thin bow here but the government's approach it's it's sort of like um more yeah they're more or less letting go of the reins and kind of people are taking it into their own hands yeah and it's we've just especially in Melbourne gone from incredible lockdowns to now a promise of kind of no lockdowns and a free-for-all and covid schmovid and all that sort of stuff and yeah I mean I've personally had I got covid a couple weeks ago um I think the vaccine did its job and I was very blessed to like really not have too bad of a experience in fact it really knocked me out in terms of sleeping really well through the night so I actually in terms of like my narcolepsy side effects well my narcolepsy my sleep sleep daytime sleepiness got better because I was having more sleep but at the same time my cataplexy got worse because for whatever reason I think being cooped up inside makes me feel overwhelmed Mm -hmm. and like strong emotion so that was getting triggered more Um, but yeah I mean I would be lying if I said I'm not relieved to have had it now Um, but I definitely think that there is too much sentiment around that is something to kind of aim for, if that makes sense. There's just definitely a conflict between um, how people should be responding to this, both people without disabilities and people with disabilities, and kind of someone needs to put out some sort of guidance as to how we can both be aiming for the same things. So it's like a really fine balance that's needed, which is why we actually do need some form of leadership at this time.
0: I think we always need some form of leadership, but we we do, but not great unfortunately. Um, in terms of how I feel, um, I think it's also quite different if you're disabled or chronically ill or disabled and chronically ill and immunocompromised because obviously they all impact you differently. and similarly to Mario. Um, Uh, I'm also immunocompromised and uh, live with something called mast cell activation, which is essentially a hypersensitivity. Um, My immune system is hypersensitive, and so are my cells in my immune system that create allergic reactions and other immune responses. Um, And as a result, I can go into spontaneous anaphylactic reactions and die. And so... um, I am on injection, um, experimental injections to help reduce that, and that impacts my immunity in addition to uh, my high risk of sepsis as a result of uh, having four bouts of sepsis about four, about six months ago, sorry, eight months ago now, um, and having spent six to eight months in hospital. So I do not, similarly to my I want to catch COVID because I can only imagine the havoc it would wreak on my body um, and how much I wouldn't physically be able to handle it despite the fact that I have been vaccinated four times. Um, so three vaccinations and one booster. Um, so yeah, it's scary and it's it seems to feel scarier listening or knowing friends back home saying or feeling that the situation in Melbourne or in Australia as a whole is is obviously as Bridget mentioned (laughs) like for free for all now considering we had experienced the most you know strict and longest lockdown in the world to now be like complete free for all let's just the amount of times that I've just heard let's just I'll just catch it and get it over with um, is is alarming. Um, But I think when when people say that they don't realize that not everybody uh, is as fortunate to not have the extremely severe version of it, um, particularly if you are immunocompromised and chronically ill in the way that it impacts your immune system that could potentially lead you to go to hospital or potentially die. Even if you're vaccinated to the fullest extent. So, yeah, lots of conflicting emotions.
1: Just how quickly it kind of went from like lockdown and, you know, um, this message, even, you know, we're going to look after the vulnerable and all this kind of thing, from how quickly it went from that to like, um, we now need to focus on the economy and, giving people the message of like, well, there are people are going to die. So we just have to deal with that kind of thing. It just went, it just felt like really quick for me. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, like, how do you, it's difficult to make sense of in terms of just how quickly that change kind of happened, um, there probably could have been some real thought around some finding something middle ground or finding something that can still be really protective of people that need the protection still you know Um, and i feel like that's completely gone and any opportunity Mm. to now put that back in place is also gone i think
2: beyond like and also beyond i guess the struggle of um people with disabilities especially immunocompromised um people being exposed to COVID there's also just you know disabilities that haven't been taken into account with government mandates like rat testing being the new norm Mm -hmm. and like people who are blind being (laughs) unable to use the rat tests independently and like that's only now just being taken into consideration and I, I think there's like I can't I actually don't know what's happening in Australia I know in England they've got like a an app where someone can like walk you through it Um, but it sounds incredibly makeshift and i'm sure there's a million other things that we haven't even thought of of just ways that these systems that have been put in place simply aren't working
1: yeah and the flow on effects you know like i this week I had to, I wasn't allowed to go into the hospital when I had an appointment, you know, um, to, and mm. I had to have a test that got cancelled and, you know, all those kind of things that, you know, the, the general public yeah, probably wouldn't be aware of, you know, so all those kind of I on effects. Would, of, or would
2: know. be like, it's, it's um, yeah, it's an interesting gradient in a way. I think it's sort of in some ways given people with more, minor issues or maybe they've even just like um booked in for a more minor surgery and it's not like a long-term like life-affecting thing but now it's being pushed back pushed back pushed back Mm -hmm. etc like maybe your wisdom teeth removal or something like that Mm -hmm. and so people are maybe now getting a taste of like what that system feels like when you're sort of locked out of it I mean as a like for me as a very small thing as well I've been trying to get in my wakefulness test in in um at Royal Melbourne um, which is to like essentially pass like an exam that I can stay awake so that I can drive <laughs> and it just keeps being pushed out which is just such a minor thing but then after a while it takes its toll because I really want to drive and I just want to be able to move on with my life in some form and I think that's the problem with those small things building up as as you say it's setting all of our kind of healthcare systems back by like more than months, by like a year, people will have to be waiting for various procedures and and that sort of thing. So we're going to be in this limbo state for a lot
0: longer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But like systems that were already over, overloaded, such as the chronic pain system, where a the waitlist prior to COVID could be up to five years or three, Three to five years in the western suburbs will now be what seven to nine. Like, how many people are going to be able to wait that long to see a, see someone for their pain? How like, there's so many things that are now so pushed back or so made non urgent because of COVID that is actually making their disability. Or chronic illness worse, leading to worse outcomes and less early intervention, resulting in longer on long longer term complications and elective procedures being pushed back, and some of them actually being quite significant ones because anything that isn't emergent is elective. So, a kidney, like a, you know, like like severe spinal surgery such as mine is is considered elective. So my neurosurgeon's like, Aki, you've got all of these issues going on, your high-risk of infection, so on and so forth. We need to do your surgery, you know, you've got this, this and this as per your scans, but at the same time, we also have COVID patients and there's so many other risks, let's just keep waiting until COVID gets better. That was last year. And now clearly COVID hasn't gotten better um, so I had delayed it from um, December um, and now it's like, oh, when when will it happen? So it's actually resulting in the, you know, pushing back elective procedures is resulting in further disabilities, resulting in further issues or further pain and suffering and trauma for people that are waiting for support, that haven't actually received support yet, or are waiting intervention that haven't and aren't able to receive intervention. For example, I had like a physio appointment that turned virtual. So I had a physio that then kept being virtual appointments and at every single virtual appointment, the physio is like, well, I can't actually help you over the phone, but I still have to have a conversation with you to say that I've had an appointment with you. But essentially until I see you and is examine and support you in person, I can't do anything for you. So then that just kept happening for like, a year and then my face-to-face appointment came around and then they canceled it and said they're no longer doing face-to-face appointments that are not emergent. So I've just spent a whole year and a half to two years waiting to see a physio through the public system. Um, And that's just an example, at least I know that I have the privilege, privilege and luxury now to see a private one, but I hadn't always had that. And not everybody does have that um, financial resource to do. So um, yeah, COVID isn't just, you know, the, the fear of COVID, but like everything that it's having an impact on resulting in ongoing disability and ongoing issues, uh, chronic illness wise, um, pain, lack of support, lack of accessibility, um, older generations or generations where they don't use telehealth if the telehealth doesn't have captions and you're deaf what are you supposed to do if you're blind and you don't have that support or the screen readers aren't accessible with the telehealth options how do you access those services if you don't have a stable internet connection I could go on Um, if you're blind and deaf how do you receive any of those supports and you can't call someone up because then they just go, oh, it's not, it's not really my area. This is all new to me. Go speak to this person. And you just get pushed around and you fall between the cracks. And that's what's happening with so many disabled people that have access needs and accessibility needs and communication supports that they are not receiving. And so it just continues to get worse. And people with disability and chronic illness just keep falling further and further and further behind. And um, none of that's okay. And we just need better leaders um, to recognise that we are the world's biggest minority and we do need that support and not to be forgotten about.
1: Just wanting to send solidarity um, to everybody out there trying to stay safe at the moment and deal with the current situation. Um, You'll be listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. That's all we've got time for today. Um, We'll be back on the first Wednesday of each month, and you can also catch all of our episodes on podcasts through the 3CR website, iTunes, um, and also on Spotify. Um, Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.
2: 3CR Community Radio, 855 a.m.